Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, today, uh, Mike and I are going to talk about the um, some recent updates uh, in the legal landscape for startups and uh, and other matters and, and no guests. So it'll be fun, Mike. Yeah, no guests. This is like one of those opportunities we have. Like the, there's been some recent, um, uh, I guess, uh, movement in, in Congress and Senate about tax reform and and how these tax uh, proposals are affecting startups is, is kind of interesting. Um, I think there's been some proposals that are pretty bad for startups and startup founders. And, and Joe happens to be in a pretty unique situation. I mean, we, we've got an expert right here. So, so we should dig in and ask Joe, like to give us the background on, you know, on what these tax proposals look like, and then maybe just generally talk about taxation of, of, um, of equity for startup founders. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, there's been a little bit of a, uh, you know, um, there was a bill, the Senate tax bill. So what we have is that we have a House tax bill and we have a Senate tax bill. And the Senate tax bill is actually, there's no actual like statutory language to review yet. All you have is this, uh, it's called the chairman's mark. It's basically a summary of the tax proposals written in plain English. And anyway, in this summary, uh, the, the uh, initial proposal was that um, they were going to change the way stock options were taxed and they were going to tax them as they vested. Um, which sounds like really horrible, right? Because if you think about that, um, the way it works now is somebody gets a stock option, as long as it's priced at fair market value when it's re- received, there's no tax until the exercise of the option. And one really nice thing about that is then the the optionee, the person who holds the option, they control the timing of the tax because they get to choose when to exercise. Of course, most- So it doesn't cost them anything. Like if you're an employee at a startup and you've got, like, you know, think about these startups that are really super valuable, but haven't had any kind of liquidation. Like, like you know, so like if you own shares in, in Uber or something like that, right? Like, or- I mean, any any pre IPO company that's got valuable stock, and you're getting these options. I guess that would put a burden on the employees, right? They'd have to start paying massive amounts of tax on on the the vesting of these options, like without having anything to pay it with. Yeah, I mean, does that, that sound right? Yeah, that was what the proposal was. Um, so it's pretty wacky. And Fred Wilson, at um, you know, who blogs at ABC.com, he wrote a blog post saying, "Hey, we have to." call our people or call your representatives and senators and get this fixed. This is nuts. This is really bad. And so uh, there's a flurry of activity and there's a, there's actually a, a bot you can use to, you know, send a message to your senators in a really easy way. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Um, but anyway, the Senate uh, this morning uh, released a revised version of the mark and the revised version of the mark has deleted this proposal. So, the, um, so they heard they heard the the, the complaints that they, they responded. Yeah, does it seem like the Senate the Senate seems generally more reasonable on all kinds of things than Congress? And, and you know, whenever whenever these things come up, it always seems like the craziness happens in Congress, makes its way up to the Senate, and hopefully there's some some like level heads that that figure things out. Like the, I guess the quality of representation may be a little higher in, in the Senate. I you know honestly I don't know I, I I'm not sure I'm not sure I agree but but I think what I think what might happen is that you know the people who write these bills um I I, mean, I think they're all like I mean the people who are doing the work who are doing the writing are they're just a bunch of young people who work on the staffs <laughs> and so in any event it's a it, I think you know, I think these organizations that are on the hunt to protect um, important things to the to their industry are smart to do so. Because if you imagine if you were asleep at the switch and weren't paying attention, and, and the Congress passed some horrible bill that totally screwed up your industry, that'd be really upsetting. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's good that there's a voice there, uh, that, that they listen. Um, yeah. So that would have been pretty bad I, in general. So it sounds like things are course correcting on that, but let's talk a little bit about like, um, how, how equity for, for startup founders and employees is treated from a tax perspective. Cause I had a situation, um, where, uh, uh, I was, I was, uh, someone asked me recently about, um, their equity situation, joining a, joining a startup. They were an early, early, um, entrant to the startup and they, they were given the option to, uh, to basically have stock options, um, in the company. And, uh, and they were like literally the, the third person in the door. This was a pre-funding company. And, and my advice to them was that, you know, if possible, they should try to try to uh, push the company to give them actually restricted stock as opposed to an option, just because that's what the other founders had. And it seemed like it would put him on a more of a level uh, playing field. But the question came up from him was, you know, so how does that differ in terms of tax treatment? If I, if I get an option and I'm part of this option plan that I don't pay any taxes until it vests um, kind of the same issue that you just mentioned, which is really great from a tax planning standpoint because it means you can take the job with the company and not really worry about paying anything. And and since we know most options for and most equity in startups ends up actually ending up worthless, like that's that's probably the case nine out of ten times. You know, you don't really want to end up paying a bunch of taxes on stuff that that in all likelihood may may not turn into anything valuable. Um, so so there's some advantages there, but you know, having having actual stock in the company is is a nice way to hold your equity because you're actually a shareholder. And you have some rights that option holders don't have, and so that so my my advice was to try to get the the stock, um, but I, I think there's some tax consequences associated with that, and you'd probably know better than I do. But when you take stock in a company, do you have to? What, how do how do those two things differ in terms of the tax treatment, like yeah, in, so, in, in multiple scenarios? Sure. So if you take stock, uh, usually um, it's subject to vesting, and so. Um, and by vesting, I mean, usually the company retains the right to buy it back at the price you paid for it um, or the lesser of that or fair market value if you quit. Um, and so then that repurchase right, that at cost or lesser of at cost or fair market value purchase right lapses over your over your vesting period. But um, if that happens, if it's subject to vesting, uh, if you don't do anything, if you just, just take the stock and don't do anything, you will be taxed as the shares vest. Uh, which is a crappy answer because uh, hopefully the value goes up over time. But if the value is going up over time and you're being taxed uh, on like a preordained vesting schedule um, as it vests, that's really crappy. So what you do is you, with stock, you can make an A3B election. So you make an election to be taxed on the stock on the day you received it, even though you might not get to keep it. And so you have to make that election within 30 days of receiving the stock. If you make that election and you pay the tax on the stock, uh, on the, uh, when you receive it at its value at that time. And that's one of the tricky things um, because if a startup um, is really nascent, you know, really, really new, you know, the, the value of the shares might be so low that uh, taking stock isn't that costly from a tax point of view to the, to the worker. But uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't take very long before the values of these companies is such that if you want to give somebody 5%, um, they're not going to want to, you know, reach pay, out, pay out of pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, in those instances, then the typical mechanism is just to use stock options. And uh, if you price those at fair market value at the date of grant, then there's no tax upon receiving the options. But the trouble is, um, uh, if you, you'd prefer, if you could, to receive the stock um, because you start your cap, your long-term capital gains holding period on the receipt of the stock. When you receive an option, uh, you, you haven't received any stock, and you and so you can't make an A three B election. You can't make any three B election on an option. And so you don't set your capital gains holding period until you exercise. 
And so um, frequently options are just held until companies are sold. And then all of the gain is ordinary income, just like wages. So it's not. Right. You know, so, so if it, on the off chance, like, so let's say you had a one in 10 chance that this stock becomes worth something really significant um, in that one in 10 chance where it, it really explodes and, and there's some value there, you're going to get hit a lot harder when you go to exercise that option. They're going to tax it as ordinary income, which is like a really high rate compared to tax. Uh, capital gains, but in order to do that, if the if the stock that you're getting in in lieu of the options, if that has value because the company's been around a little while or raised money or it has a, it has a value, you're going to end up having to pay out of pocket to get in on that, right? Like at the time at the time you get the stock, so you got to think about: do you want to pay now and save money later if it's a win, or do you want to not pay anything and then if it's a win, then you know, if it's a loss, it didn't cost you anything. If it's a win, you pay more taxes, but, but at least you've won at least with the options, you kind of win in both cases with the stock. You win bigger. If, if it's a win, if, if it's a loss, you could actually lose more because you're paying taxes on something that might never turn into anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I think, um, I think, uh, it's one of those kind of quandaries that, that people have. And, and frankly, a lot of times, um, I mean, they just, people are just forced into a certain decision because of the, because of the tax consequences. Um, and so they, they just, they can't take the shares. I've actually seen situations where, um, people, <laughs> this is a little bit of a dated example, but I, I mean, I've seen, uh, I've seen people get, uh, unexpectedly in situations they just, where they just can't afford to pay the taxes of what they set up because they didn't realize what they were doing when they set up the, set it up. So, I mean, stock can be dangerous if you, you know, if you don't make an A3B election or, and, or you can't afford to pay the tax up front, um, you, you gets, you can get stuck in a kind of a bad spot in terms of how it's taxed. So, um, yeah. And so the Senate bill, it's good. It's good that Congress moved away from it. There was a component piece of that, that, um, uh, they were going to repeal section 409a which would have been nice because it used to be in the old days we didn't have to go through this contraption of getting a 409a valuation it just seems like such a waste of money and time and um you know in the old days you could uh you could grant penny stock options to to employees and there was no tax upon the receipt of those options um and a lot of companies didn't you know grant penny stock options but um, and I think the sort of general rule of thumb for most sophisticated uh, tax lawyers was you shouldn't go beneath like 25% of the fair market value when you're, when you're granting stock options to employees. Um, but I mean, it just was a much more casual environment for it. It, it was much more um, sort of ease of management of these, of these option plans. Now you've got to worry about your 409A valuations and you know, those cost money and they take time to get done and so on and so forth. It just seems like a real waste of time. Yeah, so tell me about that that valuation process. Is that that's like when you're issuing an option or creating an option plan? Is that you have to bring someone in to decide to kind of come up with what the fair market value for your company is, so you can set the price of the options or set the strike price properly, or what's what's that about? Well, yeah. So I usually, um, so usually, um, well, first of all, yeah, you only have to do this when you're granting options. Um, so when you're granting options, you've got to under the new or under the tax code section 49A, you've got a grant of it no less than fair market value. And so then the question becomes, well, what's fair market value? And um, the tax regulations say you can hire someone to do evaluation for you. And if you do, and they're a qualified appraiser, um, the IRS, um, the presumption is in favor of the taxpayer. And so the, the burden would be on the IRS to show that the valuation was unreasonable. So an outside valuation can be helpful um, in, in, in feeling a lot of comfort with your tax situation. So, uh, but it's kind of, you know, um, 
if you've got a company that's brand new, uh, let's just say it's, you know, maybe it's raised like a hundred thousand dollars from friends and family and, uh, hasn't raised a, uh, it's in the process of raising a debt round, but it hasn't, it hasn't raised a debt round yet, or maybe it has, you know, maybe it has raised a debt round, but it hasn't done a fixed price financing. How do you even value that company? Right. I mean, what's the, how do you reach a conclusion as to the valuation of that company? It's, it's kind of, you know, it just creates a, a area of uncertainty that's kind of unfortunate for early stage companies. Hmm. Cause you can't really, you can hire an appraiser. It's kind of stupid to hire an appraiser for a company. that's like nine or 12 months old. Usually most companies wait uh, until like, they've done a fixed price. Right? Yeah. Like what are they even looking at at that point? Right. At that point. Right. So, so most companies wait until they do a fixed price financing. Once you've done like a series seed or a series a, then there's a, uh, a valuation model that these valuation firms employ, which basically backward reasons from the preferred price to the common price. It can give you a report and cost like 2,500 bucks. Hmm. So it's not like it's a horrific expense, but still it's an expense. And a lot of companies would rather spend that money on something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, it's, it's uh that's interesting. Like, so it's just a little bit of a, a coverage. Like you, you spend the money, you get, you get a little bit of comfort knowing that the tax, uh, you know, if somebody questions your decision, you can always point to the, to the expert and say, well, we paid, we paid for this. And the presumption is that it's accurate because we paid a professional. Yeah. 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 It's just, I, the, so in any event, I, the, the Senate bill, one of the things the Senate bill did or the old Senate bill would have done was repeal 49A. And I think that part of it would have been great. But taxing stock, stock options as they vest is not probably a, a good idea at all. Uh, and by the way, apparently the Senate has, um, in the chair, in the mark of the, this just shows you how, how legislation works. So they, the, the Senate released this chairman's mark, which was this description of the tax bill, okay? And then uh, people complained about the taxation of vesting of options provisions. And so they deleted all those provisions and then they inserted provisions, uh, which, uh, which are similar to this old bill that was proposed called the empowering, uh, the empowering employees through stock ownership, uh, act. And this was an act that would, that was, that was exactly the opposite. The, the, the power empowering employees through stock, uh, plan or act, uh, its purpose is to make it easier for companies to transfer equity to workers. <laughs> and so Congress did like a complete 180 here in the span of like 48 hours. And so you just have to wonder who's me, you know, who's making tax policy? Like, how do you go? Where do you think this stuff comes from? Like, so, so out of, out of nowhere, somebody decides to propose a change to the tax code that would t- vet tax uh, stock options at vesting. Where does that come from? I mean, are they basically saying, Hey, we, we're tasked with figuring out how to get, we need to we need to figure out how to tax people more and we need to figure out how to do it without causing people to get upset so they just test things they say like we're going to what about how about if we just uh, tax how about if we just tax this stuff at vesting and if nobody complains then it goes through and the taxes get you know get raised or, or you know additional additional uh, money for the treasury but but if people push back and complain we'll just take it out I, I don't know i mean like what's the what's the motivation why why do you think some staffer somewhere would say let's let's do this is it just to to save uh, for, to to help save the government money and, and raise more taxes or I mean, is there any justification? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think, I mean, there's, I, I don't know. You could say that. Um, I mean, a cynical uh, person would say uh, that uh, somebody felt the need to, um, you know, rattle the cages of certain people mm-hmm. uh, so that they would make some contributions to some campaign, you know, uh, war chess. I mean, that would be yeah, a yeah. cynical interpretation. 
I mean, all you have to do is have a staffer, you know, yeah, just have a staffer put some really horrible thing for your industry in a bill. And then, of course, you know, you release that to the public and then you wait for their re response and then there's an outcry. And you fix it and, and they owe you one. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> you know, that's, that's our maybe, government. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's, but they did a complete 180. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, yeah, it's like a threat. It's like a threat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing. And, and it happens. This happens a lot. And I don't know. Maybe a, a lot. I mean, I don't know. I think I think what happens is there's lots of ideas kicked around about all sorts of different things. And then sometimes they just get cycled through um, pieces of legislation that, you know, that, that, I mean, apparently we're going to have a, a bill that passes here, I guess. I don't know. I, don't know. I heard they. Yeah. I mean, we don't usually get too deep into politics on the show. But, yeah, I think they, they just attached. Uh, we'll try to push this podcast up sooner than we usually do. We usually, um, we usually have a few in the queue, but this stuff is topical, but yeah, I think they just attached that a uh, bunch of healthcare related, um, uh, provisions to the, to the tax bill, which seems like a, uh, that should just, I, I don't know, I guess if it's going through like a freight train, maybe it's a brilliant move on their part. They'll get what they want, but it seems like it's probably going to just rile people up. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's yeah, wild. It's the repeal of the individual. It's the repeal of the individual mandate. I think. Yeah. Like sl slotting that in. It's, uh, that should, that should, I don't know. I, I, I guess, uh, yeah, it's, this stuff is, a, this well, stuff I, seems like a mess I, to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, I always thought, I always thought it was a little, a little, I always questioned the constitutionality of this idea that Congress can order you to buy a product. Now I know the Supreme court upheld that, but it always struck me as of dubious constitutionality, but I think the mechanism for enforcing that is if you don't follow the edict to buy the commercial product, then you have to pay a penalty tax or something. And so I think what's going on here, I don't know for sure, but I think what's going on here is they're just going to repeal the the penalty tax for failing to do it. And then what you'll have is you'll just have a, an act of Congress which is instructing everyone to do something, but there's no penalty for it. So I, I don't know. It's a strange Yeah, thing. it seems like, I mean, I don't know about the constitutionality of, of that. Uh, it's an interesting question, but it seems like it could be structured other ways, right? I mean, think about like, like um, you know, no one's forcing you to, uh, to pay for childcare for your kids, but if you do, you get a tax break. Right. And like, so it seems like there's ways to, to, I, I guess, turn it around. I guess in that case, it's a, it's a, it's a carrot rather than a stick. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's not like we haven't used the tax code to incentivize all types of different activity, like get people to get the government wants to get the population, do what it wants. And taxes are the best way to motivate people. Um, to drive behavior. I, I don't know if, if, if making it required that you buy insurance and having a penalty, if you don't, uh, is a problem they could potentially hike everyone's taxes and then give you a tax break if you do buy it. And it seems like that, that would be justified, you know, that would be well with it consistent with how things have been done previously. So yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting constitutional question about whether they can force you to buy a product, but I think it, you know, there's certainly good precedent for them being able to force you to do things in order to get a benefit. Um, yeah. 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 It's a, I don't know who knows, but you know, hopefully, I mean, I mean, I, I'll get back to this taxation of stock options thing. It just strikes me that, um, that the right thing to do for, for like the worker. Okay. Like say we looked at things from the point of view of like the worker. So say you were like, just wanted to adopt sort of a, you know, a worker oriented, you know, tax code. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it would seem to me like, we shouldn't say, hey, if you receive stock in an illiquid company, you have to pay tax on it when you receive it. You know what I mean? You, the law should say that, um, hey, if you receive stock in a 
private companies. The stock's illiquid and you can't be, can't be sold. You get to not you get to not pay tax um, until you sell it until you get the cash. I mean, it seems like that would be a really fair result, and that would I mean that would be a a pretty dramatic change to the way the rules work now, but it would encourage the sharing of equity with employees. And presumably that's, you know, the broadening of the, of that base of people who enjoy the rewards seemingly is a great social role. Yeah, it seems like everybody in that ecosystem wins in that case, because the, uh, you know, you want the employees to be able to participate in these innovations and, you know, there's a lot of wealth created in tech companies and, and um, you know, if employees are able to participate in that, it's, it's good for them. Um, and then it's also good for the, uh, for the companies because it gives them a way to, to attract you know, talented people. I, I mean, you take away the you take away the prospect of possibly participating in a in a giant, um, you know, like a um, an exit and having the the employees make out well from it. You take that off the table, and it, it makes it a lot harder to justify working for a small company that could go out of business. You know, it's a it's, it seems like it's good for everybody. What about what? Oh, I was going to ask you. This is probably a shifting gears, but but there's um. Tell me, tell me a little bit about. I don't know. I don't know if this is if this is your area, but there's like this concept of getting restricted stock in a company that's subject to vesting, and then there's this other thing that, that you hear about called restricted stock units, which sounds like restricted stock, but it's kind of not. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, like so so like if you're in a, this is more advice for founder or for for people that are joining startups, but but if they if they say that you're going to get restricted stock units, um, that's different than restricted stock, right? Do, do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, for sure. And by the way, there's a, uh, I participated with um, some friends of mine who live um, down in the Bay Area. And we wrote this thing called the uh, Open Guide to Equity Compensation, and we published it on GitHub. And so if you ever want to, it's it's a it's sort of a community, uh, you know, enhanced um, work product because like anyone can submit a, you know, under the GitHub, um, you know, edit, you know, edit, edit rules and stuff, you can submit um, a request for changes and things like this. Anyway, um, yeah, restricted stock. The way restricted stock unit works is um, instead of getting an option or stock, you get a, a unit, and um, the units typically vest over time. Uh, you know, maybe annually. And when they're when they vest, I mean, the tip. This is the typical setup. When they vest, then you receive the shares, and you're taxed on the value of the shares at that time when you receive them. So this is kind of a crappy answer for a startup company because. You don't want to receive stock and be taxed on stock um, unless you can afford it because you can't sell that stuff. Uh, but if you're Amazon.com or you're Microsoft, you can. Uh, Amazon.com uh, does this RSU program. It gives people these units, and then as when they vest, they just get shares equal to the number of units. And then um, they've set up Amazon set up a program whereby its employees can sell. I mean enough of those shares to pay the taxes. Uh, and so they, you know, Amazon, I mean, you could argue that um, one of the reasons why that company is so successful is because it really has a really well thought out uh, equity incentive program. And I, I don't know if you, Mike, do you, I mean, are you familiar with kind of how they compensate people? There? Just uh, anecdotally, I have friends that work there and I hear, I hear they're, 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 uh, they're happy when the stock goes up. Uh, on, on, there was a day recently where the stock went up like 13% and, and the folks that I knew that worked there, you know, it was a good day for them. They were, they were everybody at that company. It was like you go into work and everybody's just happy. That's, that's how I heard about it. Um, yeah. You yeah. Know. No, well, I mean, so they don't pay the, I mean, the, the general rule of thumb is no one makes more than $160,000 in cash mm. per year. And, and there, the exceptions are if they hire you, they, and they 
pay you a bunch of money and bonuses to kind of convince you to come on. But then you settle in at one sixty five in cash, and everything else is in, in, in mm. units. And so when they issue those, those stock, the stock units are. Um, you vest and they issue you shares of the stock. They issue the shares of the stock. It's yeah. a number of shares at the current then current price of the stock, or, or is it? Is, is there any well, kind of option based strike price kind of a concept with a restricted stock unit, or is it just they just? It's it's you're 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 entitled to have the stock at a certain time if the vesting happens and whatever it's worth at the time is what that stock is worth. Right. So they'll give you a hundred thousand uh, restricted stock units, and then if 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 twenty five percent vest, they'll Deliver you twenty five thousand shares right. of stock, uh, and they, you'll be taxed at whatever the value of the shares was talking at that time. That's that's how it works at in Amazon. But say you're a private company that's like ramping up to your IPO. Um, so like Twitter, for example, before it went public. I mean, when you get a company that's a, in that zone, they will do RSUs uh, in that in that context, and those RSUs. The shares, you know, just they aren't delivered until the company goes public. Uh, they still pass. I mean, so there are late stage private companies that use RSUs, but generally RSUs are pretty rare for startups to use because right, of the right. adverse tax. And it's companies. a an RSU is like a, it's it's instead of a, instead of granting stock, it's kind of like a, an agreement to give you stock in the future. It's like a, it's a benefit plan. You're not, as a holder of a of a restricted stock unit, you're not an you're not technically uh, an equity holder, right? You don't have any of the rights that come along with that stock because it's basically an agreement for them to give you stock at some point in the future, right? So that, that's how I understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once you, yeah, that's right. If you get an RSU, you're not a stockholder yet. But when when the you know when whenever the shares are delivered, mm-hmm. um, you know upon the vesting, well then you, yeah then you become yeah. a stockholder. Okay. Cool. Well, this has been good. I mean, it's great to have kind of a, you know, it's been a while since we've done an episode without a guest. So I'm, I'm glad to hear about what you have to say about this stuff. It's interesting to me. Um, hopefully everyone else enjoyed it too. Um, next week, we'll probably be back with another guest. And um, yeah, send us your feedback. It's been a while since we've asked for feedback, but if anybody has anything to say about the uh, about the show, things you'd like to hear us talk about, let us know. Um, we'd love to hear from you. I guess uh, you can find us at thelawofstartups.com. There's a comment form and stuff like that. You can uh, reach out. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Joe, anything else? No, it's great. Thanks everyone for being with us. Great. We'll see you all next week.